It's a great privilege and opportunity uh, to be here this evening and have the opportunity to preach. Uh, originally, we were, uh, Anita and myself, were trying to go to the Home Missions Conference, but the Lord had other plans, so other things came up, so that wasn't going to happen. So we're actually able to be here, and Pastor asked me to preach a couple weeks back, and then, uh, so um, again, you know, take it as a great privilege and honor to be able to uh, preach His Word and just kind of go through uh, the passage and, and study tonight. Um, this evening, if you do have your Bibles with you, hopefully you do. If not, there is the Pew Bible in front of you. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We're going to be uh, beginning our, our reading, Acts chapter 11. We'll be kind of moving, not really back and forth necessarily, but we will look at a couple of other passages, primarily right here in this section of Acts. Um, so the, uh, the meeting that's going on in Oklahoma, again, it, I know some of you are going to be going out there. It is... A very wonderful time. Um, if you've never gone, hopefully maybe next year or next couple of years we'll be able to have an opportunity to go out there. I think the Home Missions Conference when I was a student at Heartland was probably one of my my favorite meetings uh, that I would be there for. Um, I was in Oklahoma for quite a while. If you don't know me, um, I've been here at the church for about just about five years now. I actually was living in Oklahoma for a number of years attending Heartland. Um, wonderful school, uh, training young men and women for the ministry and, you know, for the task that God would have for them, wherever it might be. And, you know, the Home Missions Conference is a time when uh, the students and pastors and people that are church workers get together and, and kind of get encouraged around missions that are going on here um, in the U.S., uh, North America, you know, not just here, but also around the world. Uh, but primarily focusing on here in America where we, you know, could use a revival, people turning back to God. Uh, so this evening, um, if you have your Bibles again, we're going to start in, in Acts chapter 11. We're going to start reading, reading in verse 19, uh, reading through verse 26. Um, and you'll probably catch on to a couple of verses that you may be familiar with or may have heard before. Um, and we're going to kind of dive into that a little bit. Um, starting in verse 19, now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's go ahead and ask the Lord to bless the message this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories and the accounts you give us of, of real people in their lives. We'd ask, Father, this morning you'd help us to have an understanding 
of what's going on here in the scripture and, and how it applies to our lives here at Open Door and to our ministries. Pray, Father, that you would uh, calm my nerves, help me to speak clearly and present your word clearly, and pray that everyone here would be challenged and exhorted and changed as a result of your word this evening. We pray, Father, these things in Christ's name. Amen. So right here, we see the story, and that last phrase that they were first called Christians at Antioch is probably a very commonly heard, or even if you're not very familiar with that, you know, that might be a phrase that you had heard at some point um, about this one. You may not have actually known the context of it, but, you know, oh, they were, they were called Christians first at Antioch. You have no idea what the context was. You just hear that phrase, or, or somebody may say that in passing. Um, now, what we see here, we're actually going to kind of dig into this, this section here and, and look at the story about what was going on here with Barnabas and Saul and, and what was happening here and, and kind of get a, a bigger picture of the context. Because what's happening here when they're called Christians here in Antioch, there's a, there's a lot of things that are going on that actually that kind of play in to what's happening in these few verses. So like even if you look at the whole of chapter 11 in Acts, chapter 11 it, it talks, you know, as Peter, now primarily if you, if you look at the book of Acts and the ministry of Christ, even while Christ is here, but majority of, of the story in Acts and majority of the accounts have to do with the Jews, you know, Jer- Jerusalem, Judea, and it's focused primarily on the Jews. And in chapter, chapters 10 and 11, it kind of focuses in on showing that God's message wasn't exclusively to the Jewish people. It was a message that was supposed to be as hope for all of mankind. So the sacrifice of Christ, his death on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, the the gospel message, that wasn't just to that select group. It's to the whole world. And in Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter is confronted with this. The apostle Peter. The apostle Peter is Jewish, and like the other apostles, the disciples that followed Christ, they were very focused on Jerusalem and the ministry in Jerusalem. And they were focused on ministering to the Jews. Primarily at this point, when they would go and they would preach in any city, they initially would go to the synagogues. They would go to the Jews. They would go to the Jewish leadership in these cities and preach the gospel to them. And... Because they were doing that, they, they weren't intentionally excluding the Gentiles, but because of their approach of ministry, they were. And in, in Acts chapter 10 and in, in chapter 11, you know, we, actually, Acts chapter 10 it has the story of, of, of Peter's dream of the food and God telling him to not call things unclean. And, and Peter has this, this confrontation with the truth that, you know what, these Gentiles, the, the Christ, the Jesus Christ that I followed for three years in his ministry, he died for them as well. And Peter came to that realization and understanding, and God had to, had to lay it out for him pretty, just right down the line, say, Peter, no, the, the gospel's for them too. And in Acts chapter 11, the beginning portion of that, just before we get to the passage we read, is about Jesus, or it's about Peter explaining to the other apostles and the other disciples that no, the ministry that I have, or the ministry that we've been given, isn't just for Jewish people, it's for everyone. And, and he lets them know this is for everyone. And so I, I would 
dare say that everyone in here, I, I don't know if of, of all of our backgrounds per se, but I don't know that there's any Jews in here. So if you are saved in here and you are a Gentile background, which means you're not a Jew, you should be actually really excited that this happened because the fact that we're Gentiles, I'm a Gentile, the fact that I'm saved and I was able to hear the gospel started here because of the work that God started doing here in Acts. And because God started working in the lives of Peter and the apostles and the, the ministry was, was then given to the whole world, the gospel was given to everyone, that's why we can assemble here to, this evening, is because God made it clear that the gospel, his message of salvation, isn't just for Jewish people. It's for all of us. Everyone here, we can now know the message of salvation. Now, it, as we get down to our passage here, right, if you read just before that in verse 18, it says this, When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorifying, glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Now, in verse 19, it, it continues on like in this thought of, okay, well, salvation is for the Gentiles also. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, that means that these individuals, in verse 19, there were a lot of people that in Jerusalem or the area of Judea, they were followers of Christ. And if you remember back in chapter 8, when Stephen was stoned, there was a great persecution that started rising. And so people who were following Christ were being persecuted. They were being hunted down and the very Saul we're speaking of in this passage was one of the very men that was hunting down Christians and bringing them before the Jewish leadership to be judged and to be put on trial because of them trying to subvert the nation and overthrow Caesar. And they, they had a pretty good plan. They're, they were saying, oh, these, these men that are following Christ, they're trying to overthrow the country and they're trying to overthrow Caesar. So they're an enemy of the state. They're an enemy of the Jewish religion. They're trying to overthrow everything. And so Christians were hunted because their belief in Christ was apparently or supposedly at odds with Caesar's rule. And so these men here in, in chapter 19, it says that those were scattered abroad upon the persecution that rose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch. So what happened was these people that were in Jerusalem around the time that Stephen was stoned, they were under he such heavy persecution that some of them fled away from Jerusalem and they were on the run. And as they, they're on the run, they're going through these different cities, these different coast towns, these different cities everywhere. And some of them are in hiding. But as some of them arrive there, they get to these different places where there may not be as strong of a persecution yet. And they start preaching the message of Jesus. And what we have here in this passage is the story of, as you read in verse 20, it says this, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So some of the Greeks that were living in the, these areas of Antioch, Cyrene, and Cyprus were preaching, and they heard the gospel, and these Gentiles got saved there in Antioch. So all these men, they started getting saved because... Some of these people that were in Jerusalem were, were under persecution. They fled over here. When they got here, they preached Jesus. And a lot of these people started getting saved in these different cities. And so here we have in Antioch, 
a group of people that come to know Christ as their Savior. They hear the message of, of the salvation. They, they hear the message that all of us are sinners. God sent his only son to die on the cross to pay for our sins. And by believing in him, if you turn to him in repentance, he'll forgive you your sins and grant you home an eternal life of, in heaven. You know, give you home in heaven when you die. And it's, it's the hope of salvation. And these believers, these people that were there, they heard this and a great number of them believed. These people there, they may not have heard anything about God before, but they hear that, you know what, there's a God in heaven who created us and we are supposed to obey his law because none of us have obeyed his law. We're guilty of sin. We're guilty and we, we are, we face the consequences of that sin and he sent his only son to pay for our sins and all we have to do is turn to him and believe. And many people turn to Christ here. And after that happens, it says in verse 22 that the, the in information kind of goes, maybe it goes through the grapevine and it comes to the, you know, Jerusalem. And so the people are there at Jerusalem, the apostles and the leaders, you know, maybe, maybe it's Peter that's there and he's hearing this stuff and they get this information that, hey, there's a lot of people that have turned to Christ over in Antioch. There's a lot of believers there. They, they've heard the message. You know, some of us, some of the other believers that, that ran away from here under the persecution, they, they're telling us, we got, we, we've heard that some of these people are getting saved down there. And so the church at Antioch, they get, they get Barnabas. And they say, hey, Barnabas, can you go down to Antioch and find out what's going on there? It's about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. And so Barnabas goes down to Antioch, and he goes to Antioch to, to kind of get a report of what's going on, to see what's happening, and, and to, to see, you know, if he can be of assistance there, or what he can do. And this is what, you know, and we read this, it says, when he came, he had seen, and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. So we see here that Barnabas shows up and he, he gets to this gathering of people who have gotten saved, but they haven't really gotten any information. They haven't learned anything else yet. And when Barnabas shows up, he exhorts them and he challenges them and encourages them. And so he, he starts to establish more strongly their faith. Now, they've gotten saved, but what he's doing, he's building them up in their faith and he's encouraging them and he's, he's challenging them. And... I think of that word cleave unto the Lord. He's, he's encouraging them to, to strengthen that relationship. And he's, he's saying, you know what? You've gotten saved. You know Christ is your Savior. You know God is your Father now. Now grow in that relationship. And he starts exhorting them and encouraging them in that. And, and you know, maybe they, they don't have all of, you know, they don't have the New Testament. They don't have Paul's writings yet. Paul isn't even around really yet. And he starts encouraging them to grow. So these, these men grow. And then in verse 25, it's very interesting because it says this. Then departed Paul or Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now, that's what I was saying. We're kind of, kind of look. You'll see kind of like the story happen in some of the things that were going on in the background. Now, this part of scripture, this part of Acts happens after Saul, Saul's conversion. Now, many of you, if you're familiar with your Bibles 
and the order of things that happened, you would know that Acts chapter 9, two chapters ago, is the story when Saul is converted, or the conversion of Saul. Now, if you recall, now this, this, has, this has to do around what happened when Stephen was persecuted, remember? And Stephen was put to death at the end of chapter 8. And who remembers was, who was there at Stephen's stoning? Saul of Tarsus. He was the one that was overseeing it. And as you recall, in Acts chapter 9, Saul is going about the business of finding Christians, dragging them in for prosecution, to find them guilty, to have them stoned or put to death. And he is going around tracking down Christians to stop this growing threat of Christianity and the threat it poses to Judaism and to Caesar. And as Saul is there, you remember his confrontation with the Lord, and the Lord calls him and challenges him, and Saul realizes that all these things he was doing in the name of the Lord, he realizes it wasn't what God wanted him to do, and he converts, and he gets saved, and he turns to the Lord. Now, I'm going to go back really briefly to Acts chapter 9, and why don't you read the story about what happens with Saul and his conversion. And it fits in very importantly to what's going on in the story we just read about the Christians in Antioch. It says this in verse 17 of chapter 9. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. So here we have Paul, or Saul getting saved. And then he gets saved and he starts preaching Jesus. And as he goes in to preach Jesus, people that are there are scratching their heads like, hold on. That was the guy who was looking for people who preached about Jesus before. And he was taking them bound and, and as prisoners What's going on here? Something's, something's not right. Something doesn't add up here. And it says, in verse 22 it says this, But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews, which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. So after a while, Paul started actually, they, they caught on and they realized, you know what? He's, he's not with us anymore. And so the Jews that were working with Saul before, <coughs> realized that Saul's not really with them anymore. And so Saul is preaching. And then as you, if we go down right through verse 26, it says this in verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem 
And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they, were, but they went about to slay him. And in verse 3 says this, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. So we see here with Saul, after his conversion, Saul was preaching boldly. And when he came in and he was preaching Jesus to those in Jerusalem and around in Damascus, he went to join the disciples. The disciples were like, no, you, you, you're just, you know that we're the leaders and you've just kind of been playing the, kind of playing around and you're, you're deceiving all of us so you can get in here and know who's the leader here. And once you find out who's in charge... You're going to turn on us, turn us into the Jews, and you're going to have us all killed. This is a, a big plot. You're, you're doing really good. And then Barnabas comes in, and Barnabas says, no, no, he, he's with us. And he tells him the story that he's heard, and he knows the testimony of, of Saul, and says, no, Saul is a part of us. And Saul joins up with the disciples, and the Jews that had Paul or Saul on their sides for so long realize he's not with us anymore, and the Jews they kind of like target their hate at him because for so long Saul was a great leader and he was trained so well for their cause and now that he's turned against them, they, they're, they're, they're angry and they hate him probably more than any of the other disciples and they try to hunt him down and the disciples, right there was ended uh, that in verse 30, it says they, they sent him away to Tarsus and so Saul was sent home kind of quietly snuck away. He's, he's kind of in hiding in his hometown. And as you leave chapter 9, or you leave that, that introduction of Saul, it almost looks like he's benched. You know, it looks like he's, it looks like he's that great player in, in, you know, in like basketball or in football, and he's, like, he's, he's doing so well, and he, he's out there, and he's, he's you know, the shining star on the field, and then they just pull him right off the field. And it kind of seems like he's benched for a minute, and then as we fast forward to our story that we were looking at with Barnabas, Barnabas goes down to Tarsus to get Saul. Because he's there working in the ministry in Antioch. And as he's working there in Antioch, he realizes, you know what? That, that guy Saul, I, I know we sent him over to Antioch. He was a great teacher, and, and I, I kind of like maybe reading between the lines here, but like I kind of imagine Barnabas is there. He's exhorting and he's encouraging everything. And he's like, you know, I was talking to Saul. Saul knows his history. Saul knows his, he knows like all about the Jewish faith. I'm like, <coughs> like he, he was on the ball with all this stuff. He's like, you know what? He could really help me maybe teach and kind of get into the history with the people here and explain to them more of the, of the deep truths of the scripture and, and what's going on and how that relates to what's going on here, the prophecies and the, the Old Testament and how that relates to what's going on now. And then Saul comes in and says in verse 26, And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves together, or assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And so we see here that as Saul is brought in, Barnabas and Saul, they worked together with these people in Antioch for a year, growing them and teaching them and exhorting them and challenging them. And these believers, over the course of a year, go from the place where they, in essence, may not have known anything about Christ and anything about God, 
And in the course of a year of encouragement and exhorting from Saul and from Barnabas, it gets to the place where the people there in Antioch call them Christians. And it says here, this is the first time that disciples were called Christians. Now, the end of the chapter shows an interesting story because as, act, as act, chapter 11 is wrapping up, there are people that come up for Jerusalem and say, hey, there's some persecution and there's some very cha- great challenges arising in Jerusalem. And these believers in Antioch, only a year old in ministry, gather together as what, according to their ability and they send down a love offering to help those that are in need in Jerusalem. And so they gave of what they had to help people that they've never even met before because they hear a message from those in the church and they give according to their ability as God granted them. And so we see here that there's a, there's a really interesting pattern that, that I, I noted in the, the growth of, of this congregation or this group of disciples here. And, and I believe that when you see this, this passage here from, from verse 19, just through verse 26, I, see, I, I, think, I believe you see a, a pattern for how God wants a church to grow. Like in these short verses, simple pattern. And it, it's, it's simply, and I'm, I, this is alliterated, I know, but it's, it's the idea of to live, to love, and then to learn. And the importance of that order is kind of highlighted here and in the testimony of Saul. It, it's not live, learn, and love. It's live, love, and learn. You first see that these people, these individuals, at the beginning, they hear of their need of a Savior, and they believe in Christ. Now, we are dead in trespasses and sins, but we're alive through Christ. So, when we are, before we're saved, we're dead spiritually. When we come to the place where we believe on Christ, He makes us alive. We're alive in God. And these people... When they had heard the message of salvation, like it says here in verse 21, and the hand of the God of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So they turned from their sin, they turned from their own path to God, and they experienced a new life. Now, that life was exciting. And as that message and that information is given to the church in Jerusalem, they send Barnabas to encourage them. And look what he says in in verse 23. It says, when he came and had seen the grace of God, so he saw the grace, he saw the fact that these men were now alive spiritually. He exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. I want you to notice that there. He, He wanted them to cleave unto the Lord. And he, he wanted them to grow in their knowledge, their love of God, their love of Christ. And he wanted them to understand more of their love, of God's love toward them, and to grow in that knowledge, and to grow in that. And he encouraged them to cleave unto the Lord, and to grow in their relationship to him. That idea of cleaving is very similar to like the note, you know, back in, in, in uh, Genesis, when it talks about the marriage relationship, you're cleaving, you're joining it's growing in that relationship to, to cleave, to become intertwined and knit together. It's, it's a growth there. And it's after that that he brings in Saul and they spend a year teaching. 
And there's a, a, a great importance in that order. And I want you to kind of highlight this, the, the need here for learning to, to live. And then you learn to love your Savior. And then as you love Christ, you want to know more about him. Now, I, w- I was thinking of, a, of kind of a silly example. But if you think about maybe, you know, just like just in the world of like dating and relationships. Now, if somebody is in a relationship or somebody knows somebody. Now, and probably more ladies could maybe find this more creepy than anything, but how many ladies find it endearing when somebody you don't really even know knows everything about you? Just think about that, ladies. If, if you met a guy who knew everything about you, but you've never met them before, and you don't know who they are, we have a word for that, stalker. Right? And there, there's, a, there's a degree when you can know about someone, but you don't know them. And within our personal relationships, that can be very disturbing when somebody knows all about you, but you don't know them at all. And the idea here is, is when you think about people within religion... A lot of people know a lot of things about God, but they don't know God. And the importance that we see here, especially in the context of the church and the context of believers, is the fact that they know Christ through salvation and they have a new life in him and they're growing in that relationship and that relationship as they grow closer to God in relationship, draws them to know more about God. Now, I, I think it's very important that Saul is the one that's brought in on here. Think about Saul for a moment. If you go back to his persecution, when he was persecuting the church, do you know what his problem was? He knew a lot of information about God, but he did not have a relationship with God. It gave him a lot of zeal because he knew that God was powerful. He knew information about God's history. He knew all this stuff about God. And it gave him a passion to do something for this God he knew a lot about. But because he didn't know God personally, he was going around persecuting God's people. And it's the same thing when you see, look around the world today. When you see people who are angry and hateful based on their relationship with God... And they say, no, God told me to do this. No, God didn't tell you to do that. You know a lot about somebody you think is called God. But the God of the Bible doesn't communicate messages of hate and destruction and violence. The God of the Bible is the God of love who gave his only son to die for our sins. And our God, the God of the Bible, is one who loves people to the point where he's going to sacrifice himself for us. He, he demonstrates love beyond our comprehending. We, we can't understand the depths of God's love. Like, we can't understand that as much as we want. And so, what we see here is, I believe Paul's life here shows a, a very good, like, like, juxtaposition of, like, of, of faith and love, and, like, how bad it can be if you get this in the wrong order. 
Like I was saying, you need to have the life of Christ. And once you have the life of Christ and you learn to love your Savior and you grow in your relationship to him based on that same love that drew you to him, you're going to want to know more about him. And it's going to be very similar to those relationships. Now, it's, it's a much better thing when two people love each other and start learning more about each other. Now, I think, you know, I try not to get too much, especially because she has to sign about us, but I won't try to talk about my wife and I too much. But I just think about the idea that now that we're married, she knows a lot more about me than she did before we got married. Right? Now, she knows a lot more about me than any of you ever will. And the important thing is that we decided to love each other before she knew everything about me, which is really good for my benefit. Trust me. It's it's important that she loves me first before she knew everything about me. Because then she's stuck with it. And then... It, it, that's the idea here, is when you look at the... Now, the, the thing is, it's different, is the fact that when we learn to love God, we're not going to learn anything bad about Him. But if you spend all of your time trying to find out about God without learning Him, or getting to know Him in relationship, you're going to be way off, off base of where you need to be. And, you know, not just in false religion, but if you look at a lot of people who get so caught up in... The scholarly pursuits of religion, they start studying and studying and studying so much about God again that they, they, they lose track of the fact that it's a relationship. And so much about it, it can be, you know, it's like it's, it's this book and it's that book and it's this study and it's that study. And, and God isn't something that can be defined by an encyclopedia. It, he's a person. And our relationship with him is what draws us to know more about him. But it's that relationship where you're like, you know what, man, I realize God loves me. And it's like, as you learn to love him more and more, and you're drawn closer to him, that's going to, again, draw you to know more about him in the proper order. And by doing that, that's going to be why, just like the individuals here, the disciples here in Acts chapter 11, were called disciples. They were called Christians in Antioch. They were followers of Christ, but they were called Christians. Now, one thing that's really annoying in this day and age is it's like everything is labeled as Christian. That's not. There's random things. It's just whatever you want is Christian. And sometimes it's almost like it's a marketing strategy anymore where it's like, oh, if we label it Christian, more people will buy it. And people who are Christian, they buy all the Christian stuff because it makes them more Christian. Well, it's like everything I have is Christian. And it's like, well, you know, I I believe I'm a Christian, so everything I have is Christian. But it has nothing to do with Christ. It's all these things that are labeled Christian, and it's like sometimes people are like, it's a check mark in a box. Like, what's your religion? Oh, Christian. It's your Christian faith isn't a check mark in a box. It's not something you fill in on a survey. It's not a bubble on a, a, a questionnaire. It's a relationship that starts with. A new life. And you know all the problem with all these things that are labeled as Christian? They don't even have, they haven't even gone through this process at all. They have no life. 
They have no love for the Savior, and they have no knowledge of the Savior. How can anything be Christian that isn't born of that pattern? So, you see, this pattern here shows you really what is Christian. It's somebody who has the life of Christ because they repented and turned to Christ in belief. And those people, they love their Savior and learn about their Savior. I don't care how many labels you put on different types of music or different types of movies or different types of books or different types of, of philosophies. If, if the philosophy or that music wasn't produced by somebody who has the life of Christ, a love for Christ, and the knowledge of Christ to learn about him, it's not Christian. It can't be. It's completely opposite of what Christ is. So when you, when you kind of take this passage and look at, at your life, and even our, our ministry as a church, I'm very thankful to be a part of a church like this, because I know when, when I look at the things that pastor decides and teaches and preaches, it comes from the Bible. It, it comes from the Bible. It doesn't come from this, this manual of stuff. Of, of this, this Christian manual or this person's book on how to be a Christian in five steps that aren't found in the Bible. Really? I, it, how does that happen? And so when I think, and I think about the music ministry here, we have such a, a beautiful music ministry here because the music ministry isn't based on how talented you are and the fact that you have a degree from, you know, from an opera house in Sydney, Australia or something. It comes from the fact that you have a heart for God and you can somewhat sing in tune or whatever it might be. You know, like that's why I'm not involved in it. But like that's the whole idea. It's the, the, the fact that if you have a heart for God and a serving, a, to serve God, that you're going to have a place of ministry. It's not based on your talent. It's not based on, on how great of a person you are. It has to do with the fact that God called us as a body of believers to minister and serve one another in the local church. And as we get saved, get baptized, grow in our love for our Savior, which I think pastors going through this in First John, the love of our Savior, as we grow in love with our Savior and we understand more about the love of Christ, that's going to cause fellowship among us. And this skirmishes and this person said that, that person said this, and this gossip in and out, that doesn't happen because we have the love of God in our hearts that's going to have us be in good fellowship with each other. And there's not going to be this gossiping, he said, she said, mess going on. It's going to be love for one another. And we're going to be a close-knit family because we're a part of the family of God. And there's not going to be something that has to force people to do that. We can have people from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds get together and have fun and fellowship one with another because it's the love of God that compels us and draws us together. And that's the ministry that we have here at this church. And so it, it's, it's a great blessing to be a part of a church like that. And it, it's something where you see the pattern here is, is very important. And I would challenge you to, to, to look at your ministry and your approach to, to your, your ministry even here in the church. And, and what your plan is and what you are doing for Christ. And, and as you look at things that are a part of your, your daily life or things that you're focusing on or things that you find important, make sure that those things match in with this. And, and look at this pattern. Like, take time to look at this pattern here. I don't think it's just something that 
was, you know, I, I don't think it happened that it came in this order. I think it's a very important to look at the order of things and say, you know what? Is my service for Christ born out of a love for my Savior? Do I know all these things about my Savior and have I gotten away from fellowship with him? And sometimes that can be very easy, even as you start to learn more about your Savior and you get involved in that study, that sometimes you can lose sight of the fact that you're not studying a, a subject. You're learning about a person. And so this evening, my, my challenge for you to be, and myself as well, is, and, and mind you, I was a student at Bible college. And sometimes when you're a student at Bible college, this can be a, a great challenge because you're learning a lot about the Bible and you're studying the Bible. And sometimes you can get so engrossed in the study of this book that you forget to learn that you're, you're learning about your Savior. And so th- this evening I would challenge you, one, you know, if you've never been saved and you don't have the life of Christ in you, that's step one. That's the first part. If you don't know that Christ is your Savior, you need to get that taken care of. Like, today is the day of salvation. Don't, don't delay on that one. If you don't know that Christ has saved you, and I'm not talking about you every day doing some kind of a ritual or whatever else it is. It's a one-time point in life when you know, I settled it and it's done. Because when you think about birth, birth happens once. And I, I'm sure the mothers in here are very thankful that once your baby is born, they're born. They're out. They don't have to be born five times. Like birth happens once, and it's a new life. And then, if you've experienced that new life, grow in love for your Savior. Stop worrying about information about Him. But when you read the Bible, sit down when you're praying. As you're going through the Bible reading schedule this year, maybe do this as a thought. Don't, don't, like, don't do like vain repetition as you're reading. But sit down and you read. And ask God, you know, God, I'm, I'm preparing to read your word. I'd ask that you'd use your Holy Spirit to guide me in what you'd have me to learn this morning or this evening as I'm reading. Guide me in understanding. Draw me to what you'd have me to learn. And if you're reading the, if, if you're reading the, the, the schedule and you get all caught up in something that's happening in one chapter and you get focused in on that one and God is speaking to you in that chapter, don't get all hurt because you didn't finish the reading for the day. Focus on what God is drawing out in that passage to you and focus on that one. Get caught up the next day, but dwell in that moment. Dwell in what God is teaching you as you're reading that one. And then ask God to speak to you and to teach you more about him in relationship. Then, as that continues to grow, the the knowledge there is going to just be a part of that. And, And as you're reading for that relationship, the knowledge of him is going to be as a part of that. Because that's the one thing that's interesting. I, I have realized this in marriage, at least this bit in marriage. As you spend time with one another, you, by nature, learn more about each other. By having fellowship with each other. And so, the knowledge, at that point, is a healthy thing. Again, it's, it's not, you're not a stalker at that point. You know that, well, hopefully, yeah. So, the, uh, the idea here is that you grow in the relationship that you have. So, one, if you've never started that relationship, speak with one of us this evening. Um, there's, gentlemen, there's guys here that we can go through the, the scriptures and show you. Ladies, there's ladies here that can, would love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. If you've gotten to that place and you're here in the church 
If you've ever been baptized, why not? Be baptized. Become a part of the church. Be involved in the ministries here. And, and grow here. And then as you grow here and you start learning more about our Savior, it's going to be one of those things where people are going to start calling you a Christian. Not because you're checking off a box or because you say it. It's because your actions are all of a sudden going to be doing that. And like it says here in verse 27, just read this. We're going to read this verse here so you can kind of see what these Christians do. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Jerusalem or in Judea. I, I think it's interesting that it says there it's under the brethren. These are people who they recognize as brothers in Christ that they'd never met. Because they have a common faith. Which they did, also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this evening we'll be closing out. We can have a, a brief word of prayer. But this is the idea again. If you don't have that life, take time. Get saved tonight. There's no need to wait. Once, if you're saved, get active in the church. Grow in service. Love for your Savior. Spend time in fellowship with Him. And then learn more about Him. Don't be beating people over the head with your knowledge about God. Let the relationship you have with God pour out so much that it communicates through your message as you speak to them. Because the people, people out there that need Christ... They're going to be converted by your relationship, not by how much you know, how much more you know about God than they do. They're going to be compelled by that relationship you have with God. And they're going to want that. Because if you show that relationship, they're going to want it. Because it's good. So this evening, let's go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes, word of prayer. Uh, We'll take a moment. If God has spoken to you this evening, you know, take some time. You can sit down at your your pew there and uh, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, for this evening and opportunity to study one with another. We pray, Father, that um, everyone here, um, each and every one of us would be challenged to be closer in our walk with you and we would grow in our relationship to you. I pray, Father, if anybody here has not trusted you as their Savior, that they would speak to one of us and and take the opportunity to to at least sit down and, and hear from your word more information about that. Heavenly Father, we pray these things in Christ's name.